after Great Britain threw their hat into the ring of kaiju cinema with the giant behemoth and conga, you'd think that they were going the way of American monster films in the 50s. But here comes Eugene Laurie to one-up himself and many other monster movies of the time. This is Kaiju vs. History, Gorgo! Welcome back, listeners, and those seeking some monster mania. This is Miles, and with me is my kaiju commenter, Patrick. And welcome to episode 28 of Kaiju vs. History. We're on 28, Patrick. I kind of mm-hmm. can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was, I was explaining to some friends of this project, and they were like, yeah, they asked what year we were on. It's like 1961. And they're like, you, wait, you've only just begun? <laughs> I don't think they realize how many there were before the 60s, you know, how many proto and otherwise. Well, I, I can say that I am much, much happier in the 60s. <laughs> you, you know, I will. I, the, the whole conceit of this project that uh, doing these movies chronologically, I didn't think was going to matter that much. I thought it would be like to compare them to one another, but it, it's so crazy to watch how the films have progressed and how people have one up themselves and how directors have you know gotten better through the years it's also interesting because you know we have this trilogy of sorts of british monster movies (laughs) yeah you know with with conga and reptilicus and Mm -hmm. and i mean i guess you know the giant behemoth as well but i still kind kind of you know that's still a 50s film yeah, it, it was by Laurie though, so but makes sense. It is it is interesting to see, especially the Brits, it more so than than their American counterparts seem to at least kind of understand the giant monster movie a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, they, they they got a lot of King Kong in the Giant Behemoth, which was really interesting to see. And there's a lot of King Kong in in Gorgo, and uh, or a lot of Godzilla too. Yeah, it's it's. It's they clearly saw that both Godzilla and King Kong were these massively important monster movies that made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And and I and I get it, you know, okay, well, let's take these two great tastes and see if they taste great together. And you know, I think they for the most part uh succeeded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree. But but it's it's interesting. And so yes, we are talking about Gorgo. It's a 1961 film. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fun to say Gorgo, Gorgo, and this is the one thing that the, that the Brits did that the Americans. I don't know why I'm talking like the two different teams. We are Americans, but <laughs> they, they didn't do, and that was you know have a named monster. Yeah, well, it's so funny. Even in the ones where the monsters were given names or given kind of like backstory they still went with the superlative yeah monster names and i don't know i think it 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 makes sense if your only advertising material is words or letters on a marquee maybe it's like you might look up and see gorgo and be like did where are the rest of the letters you know what's the rest of the title here? sure but now well, we're the- we're it's in the a posters for <laughs> yeah that's what that's what we got the posters up upside here and and maybe we're getting to a, a space where the the marketing for these is is getting a little more out there so you can do these one word titles and you don't have to worry about it people understand oh this is a giant monster movie because it's just like one weird word <laughs> as the title well i mean since we're talking about the title why don't you tell us what's in a title Yep. Uh, this week's episode is Gorgo. It is 1961 film by British Lion Films, distributed in the U.S. by MGM. And like we said, we, we're now in the age of the kaiju calling card of just their name being the the title. And yeah, I think the, the producers are just kind of resting on the laurels of this movie, kind of selling itself. And even as far back as uh, Gojira in 1954, 
the production of that film was marketing material as well, because like I, we, we said, there's people coming to set. They had books out before the, the movie came out, like comic books and uh, you know newspaper magazine articles about the the film and part of that is the the mystery of the the monster itself in britain they uh, talking about the posters they didn't even have the full monster on the poster it was kind of like the marketing campaign for 1998's godzilla where you only saw like the foot in that one mm-hmm. teaser that if you want to look at the poster real quick, it's just two of Gorgo's like clawed hands. It almost looks like coming out from the ground. Whereas in the American version, I think that came out later. They showed the full monster on the the poster. But yeah, talking about Gorgo itself, the monster named in the film, a carnival owner compares it to the most fiercest beast in all of antiquity, the Gorgon, aka Medusa. And that that was weird in the movie. <laughs> I guess maybe if they knew it was female, maybe they would go with that, you know, but I don't know if they knew the gender of of Gorgo. So what's they really, really it, funny about this he or she? I forget. I think they call it the little one. He hmm. but what's what's really funny about this is. Uh, so this is one of the few that I was watching with my girlfriend, Krista, and there's the scene where the the announcer's like, "It's name is Gorgo. Why? We have no idea." <laughs> and yeah. she thought that was hilarious. Sounds like a good name for a monster, I guess. Yeah, okay, the ones Gorgo, as he's called, we don't know why. Yeah, well, it's crack it's recording a, their uh, it's BBC a, it's a, Two or whatever. It, it's a great line, and it's also like, yeah, why is he called Gorgo? And then when you get the 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 actual reasoning you're like okay well does he have some sort of gorgon like stare or power no that just felt like calling him that yeah i i i i've written my notes here it make a little bit more sense for like a sea monster out of like greek antiquity <laughs> uh, yeah because I mean, it is the, basically the, the a hydro would work or like call him like hydro or no, that's dumb or charybdis or I don't think Leviathan was like a biblical thing, but yeah, some, some kind of sea monster because the, the Danish name for this film was Gorgo, the sea monster, the monster from the abyss was the title in Poland, Germany. The best titles was the super beast strikes. It was a German DVD title. And the West German title was Gorgo in the footsteps of King Kong. I mean, uh, you're a little on the nose, but okay. <laughs> the the Turkish title Kenverin Yavrusu was, I think it might have been Gorgo Kenverin Yavrusu. Spoils the ending. It calls it the beast's cub, like, you know, child of the monster, you know, kind of thing. So this spoils the fact <laughs> that Gorgo is not really the threat in this movie. Gorgo is the plot device almost. Let, let's talk about the film and do a quick recap of what exactly it is we watched. Do you have something? <laughs> Can you summarize this movie in a sentence or two miles or? You have a quick recap. I mean, it is yeah, like you sure. said, it's like they mashed together King yeah, Kong. What, and, what what if King Kong, but Godzilla, but a, a lizard, <laughs> lizard Kong. I mean, so that's the cool thing about this movie is, you know, this one's certainly inspired by both of these movies and you get this kind. I will, I will say this movie uh, gets a lot of credit for its pacing, you know, in terms of the actual plot points, it, at least the beginning of the film, it clips pretty nicely. You know, yeah. you have the you have these divers, and they they you know come across this explosion. Their 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 boats damaged, and yeah. they they land and meet. You know, I, I love how the, they meet the Gaelic uh, speakers, and they they're, they're just like there's no subtitle, there's no like <laughs> yeah nothing. They're they're just like okay, these guys talk funny, and and just move on. I'm like, all right, well that's weird. But I mean, the monster shows up 17 minutes in the film. I was about to say it was kind of almost at the 20 minute mark, which is one of the faster. I think maybe the beast from 20 fathoms had that like very brief appearance, but one of the faster appearances of the kaiju for an introductory I, one. Yes. Yeah. I was about to say a kaiju. <laughs> I was impressed by that. And there's not really a lot of 
downtime. You know, it's all about moving the actual monster and moving the plot along. Yeah, and and there's some there's some good things about it. There's some bad things about it, which I think most of my problems with these British films have kind of remained consistent. But in mm-hmm. terms of spectacle, I think this is the best of the lot, personally. Yeah, yeah, that, that's not. I don't think I can argue about any other European ones really over over this one. And I, I put a lot of that on Eugene Laurie. I think it was very well directed in reading some yeah. of the things that were cut from the script. I think smart choices were made. There wasn't a lot left. There are some some instances where they probably insisted on doing stuff because they thought the idea was cool, like when they shot underwater. And the problem is those shots look awful. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a blue blur, basically. I, I get like they had some sort of capability to shoot underwater in, in, or show some underwater sequences. I bet the bathosphere but, was just like a prop that was lying around that they had access to. But yeah, they they actually the script called for a giant octopus and a killer whale to attack them while they were diving. And I think Gorgo like actually eats one or both of those animals and quote unquote saves them. Yeah, but it's like as bad as that looked and as muddled as it was probably going to be, it's probably for the best that was it was left yeah. out. Well, and I will say, so you have the 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 the, the exploding volcano, which is off the coast of Ireland. <laughs> yes, you know, like many a volcanic activity is. Uh, there's I, I, a reason I confess, for that later. I don't know a lot about the geo <laughs> geology of surrounding Ireland. I don't, so think, I don't think there are underwater volcanoes, at least. Yeah. Probably not. Oh, who knows? I mean, I'm sure you know, people who actually know geology do. But I did think that the store or the like the the repercussions of the of the explosion looked great of, of the of the actual like water coming up off the ship mm-hmm. and the soldiers dealing with with basically the uh, the the ocean's reaction to the explosion. Yeah. I thought it was really, really solid. I thought the, the use of the water was really good. The actual set of the boat looked fantastic. And you know, I was really impressed by that opening. Yeah, this is, I believe, about eight years, maybe seven years before. Yeah, eight years before he, the director, is nominated for an Academy Award for visual effects for Krakatoa East of Java. So this is his practice volcano <laughs> and uh, in special effects. Before I can, I can see, it. I mean, he's definitely like continued to improve, you know, from Beast well, of 20,000 Fathoms to yeah. uh, Giant Behemoth to Gorgo. Like, I can definitely see like the improvement in not only the special effects that, that he's utilizing, but also his his command of his vision. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got the special effects powerhouse of Ray Harryhausen doing the beast from 20,000 fathoms, but here using suitmation, I believe that Eugene Laurie was a lot more hands-on with the, the process of, of creating this film, which like I said, turned out great. Majority of the time, I think early on is capturing Gorgo. We see Gorgo first uh, emerging and attacking the, the sailors, which was shot very well. I was, Surprised that th- there's a scene where they're all chucking firebrands, you know, like torches at, at Gorgo and a couple like one lands in the suit actor's mouth and it seems to have like weight to it. It doesn't look, you know, like a toothpick or I guess whatever on on fire. Like I was surprised that that translated as well. I kind of believed for a moment that there was a giant monster there with them. The, the, just the cutting back and forth seemed to work very well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think for me, uh, while Gorgo looks pretty good, standard dinosaur-like creature, very inspired by Godzilla. Uh, I like the little little thin ears that he's got. Yeah. I kind of wish that he had some sort of ability right right no no real super abilities here outside of the fact that i mean this, this little boy is still growing <laughs> yeah they, they 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 mentioned that that so Spoilers. i guess we re- rewind a little bit so <laughs> after they they 
dock at this uh, Nara Island for repairs. Mm. Uh, basically, they they meet the guy who's supposed to be the harbor master, who's this archaeologist who they just do not trust. <laughs> and part of his concern is that there's this beast out there, and so the the seamen are like, well, if we take care of this beast, give us some of that good good stuff that we know you're hiding as a down payment and we'll be on our merry way. Mm-hmm. And that is where we also meet our orphan boy, Sean <laughs> in the village played by, oh by Vincent winter who um, we'll talk about in a little bit, but in, in our main characters, captain Joe and first mate, Sam Slade, which is a great name for a character yeah. or, or uh, well, yeah, it's captain Joe Ryan. The man with two first names. <laughs> Joe Ryan and Sam Slade. Their adventures in capturing monsters. And that that's when we learn the local legend of the sea spirit Ogra from, from Sean. And why they didn't just name this monster that comes out of the sea. It's like, oh, look, it's the thing he just told us about. It's Ogra. You know? I was really surprised by that. But I, I guess that once, you know, we find out that this this creature is a baby that mm-hmm. ogre's the mom i guess the script knew but the characters didn't yeah at the end spoilers ogre does show up and the child is named gorgo i think there's some confusion like some people are like oh gorgo attacks london at the end of the movie gorgo's mother does and if we want to call her ogre that's one thing if we're calling the species gorgo i guess a gorgo <laughs> destroys but it's one of those things that can get a little confusing at the 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 naming of the monster but for the most part most people i think agree the mother is okra the actual i want to say that's what they they have her listed on and on like wikizilla and a few other fan places online but that's the majority of the plot leading up to them taking gorgo back to london to become a another second uh, an eighth wonder of the world in a in a kind of a little bit bit of a twist from King Kong. Can you imagine if that had happened in King Kong? Like they take back a twenty five foot ape and then a hundred foot ape. Like <laughs> the legendary films, King Kong shows up and just starts. Oh my gosh! Knocking over buildings instead of climbing them. I'd be for it. But <laughs> yeah, it uh, it another almost Godzilla like attack happens in London very similar to the destruction seven years prior in, in Tokyo. And we get a, a pretty thrilling climax and maybe one that I wasn't expecting just because we're coming hot off of the heels of Conga and my expectations for a British monster movie were very low. Miles right. Moving in this one. So I, I think that colored my first watching of this where I was like, this is amazing. This is one of the best monster movies ever made. <laughs> and it was great. It was very fun, but maybe so not. I, I, I will say, and I, I guess we should, we should, yeah, dive a little bit more into some of the, the history before we, we fully review this one. But yeah, I, I agree with you. There, there are parts of this movie that are exciting to watch. There are parts of this movie that kind of temper that excitement. Mm-hmm. And, and that's my big, I think, problem with all, all three of these British movies is that they seem to understand the ingredients for making a good kaiju film. They just can't quite mix it all together right. Yeah, I, I would agree to that. They, on my first viewing, because we're like I said, we're coming off Conga, I was I was very happy to get through this movie and, and get to the ending. But on second viewing and, and writing our, my notes for this episode, I was like, they left a lot of things on the table, and it's one of those. You know, they just didn't have the script down. They didn't have they they so many ideas were not actualized that there's a reason this isn't like a classic classic movie and people aren't talking about Gorgo sixty years later. <laughs> well, we are. <laughs> yeah. Well <laughs> so how how dare you Miles call us out? <laughs> but I mean there's a reason this movie was made. Eugene Laurie scored in nineteen fifty-three a massive sci-fi hit with a beast from 20,000 fathoms. It made about in today's money, $50 million on a budget of 2 million. Think of the movies today that get $2 million. You know, if you can, 
I mean, two uh, two million dollars like five, yeah. Two million dollars now is almost considered not micro budget because I have like a lot a, of filmmaker like friends. Like an indie who, movie is, two but million. it is it's a hundred percent an indie movie or a studio that knows how to budget correctly and makes a cheap horror film. Most Saw movies cost five million or lower. Yeah. But um, pe- people are still talking about the beast from 20,000 fathoms today. They are fans of that movie still today, but there is one fan who had a very major problem with the ending. And I think we oh, mentioned this yes. maybe in our, our talk about that movie in, in that episode, but Eugene Laurie's daughter, Anita is said to have cried for the monster for the beast when it dies at the, the end of that movie. I, I would imagine that Anita is somehow related to Krista because that is her reaction <laughs> uh, the the entire time. And I, I gotta say, what, she wasn't wrong. She was she was actively rooting for the monster <laughs> in because, twenty thousand fathoms. No, in in Gorgo. Oh, as okay. Actively rooting for Gorgo the entire yeah. time. Well, like, they, that that is one thing that this script does well is like it shows very much the people that have taken Gorgo. They're not good people. Even the people in the crowd that go to like throw popcorn and and stuff, they maybe deserve a monster attack, you know? Oh, the entire time you're, you're just waiting for the monster to get out and decimate London, which, Hey, talking (laughs) about finally getting a really cool color city destruction that isn't in Japan. Yeah. This does deliver that in spade. So I got to give it that now. The original script had several references to both Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and Godzilla um, in a way that it was a loving homage. I think some of the script notes said that they had originally wanted the movie to start in Japan, which is a setting that would make more sense with an underground volcano. Yeah, maybe that's where that part came from. I, I, I mean, obviously, I think Gorgo looking like Godzilla is one thing and it being an underwater beast is another there, there are several notes of they <laughs> they wanted after that, if they weren't going to do Japan, to do Australia and have that be the main setting. Because, you know, you're also in the ring of fire down there. Yeah. But the producers poo-pooed it. They <laughs> literally said audiences wouldn't care if Australia was destroyed by a giant <laughs> monster. And can you blame them? That That is something else. <laughs> but I mean... Right? Th- I, I can't name a single huge national monument in Australia outside of the Sydney Opera House. And that is like that was built in the 70s. So it's a decade away at this point. And that's how we that we get to, you know, what they have access to. They have access to mm-hmm. London. They have access to the the islands off of, of Dublin. And they were also looking I think at locations to potentially do a lighthouse scene with Gorgo, you know, p- potentially on the, the Nara islands where the movie starts uh, toppling it over as a nod to the beast from 20,000 fathoms uh, and the, the rape Bradbury short story, the foghorn that it's based on. But uh, that's another thing that got cut from the beginning. There's a lot of ideas that they didn't end up doing in the, the beginning of the, the movie, those Nara islands, themselves an anagram of Iran islands are off of Galway Bay. And indeed to this day, that is they, they speak English and Gaelic as the recognized languages there. There's a couple of places in Dublin where you, it might be stepping into another. You know, oh, millennia. I mean, ha- <laughs> yeah. Having, having been there myself. Yeah. It, it, that does happen. I did. They tell us initially that we were in Irish waters probably I, I don't remember and I, I remember like hearing you know the i know when the, when the professors from dublin come in i'm like okay this must be taking place in ireland and mm-hmm. and we were given that information later but when they're just on the sea and then they talk to the people on the island until someone mentions gaelic i was like okay so i guess what, with, the, it, it was, with the underwater volcano i was like well maybe they're by greenland or whichever one that has like volcanic activity by there but yeah once they start talking to people i was like oh oh this is this is just off the goes of ireland i I guess but the the rest of the movie we get we actually get a lot of shots in london in piccadilly square and most of the rest are in a mgm british studios back lot 
But yeah, the scene where Gorgo on a truck bed is is driven around Piccadilly kind of foreshadows later on when Ogre comes through and destroys that area. But they did it the same way that they filmed 2002's 28 Days Later, which is they just got up super early on Sunday morning at first light, started shooting to get mostly empty streets. I thought that was a pretty impressive scene. The Gorgo prop wasn't amazing just because it looked pretty small in the truck bed. But I I mean, once again, I'm going to hand it to any of these movies that makes a huge physical prop and uses it somewhat well. You know, yeah, that's that's a lot of ambition right there. Uh, Let's talk about the the cast, the crew. We've already mentioned a couple, including Bill Travers as Captain Joe. He would probably best be known for 1966 Born Free. Have you ever seen that movie? I have not. He plays like a a wildlife conservationist. And he would eventually go on in his life, Bill Trevor's life, to he had like the Born Free Foundation. And he was like a big animal rights kind of champion. Let's see. William Sylvester plays Sam Slade who would be Dr. Haywood in 2001's A Space Odyssey. I didn't really recognize him here or there. It's like the first doctor before they get to the space station. So he's the one in the the zero-G plane sequence, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that is a role Roy Scheider would take over in the, the sequel of that movie, unfortunately, for William Sylvester. <laughs> but yeah, probably most interestingly, the kid Vincent Winter plays Sean. I was looking up only acting roles at first, and he didn't do a lot of acting, but he went on to be an assistant director and production supervisor to Richard Donner for the Superman movies and Steven Spielberg on Temple of Doom, Color Purple, a couple things, I think, by by Spielberg. That little cute kid from this movie, Miles, can you believe that? Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I especially since it's worked behind the camera <laughs> and and not in front of it. <laughs> But it's always interesting when especially child actors start becoming directors and things like that. But there's other cast oh, for sure. Members. I mean, and he's not awful. The kid's just written as mm-hmm. just meh. He's a little feisty, but it doesn't get a lot of great, great scenes. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly not the actor's fault by any by any means. And there technically are other actors and characters in this movie. None of them really add anything to the plot like we have a couple of university professors who help in like the identification of, of gorgo and things like that and and you mentioned the harbor master who seems like he's going to be a bigger part of the plot and then disappears completely once they leave the the islands you know yeah uh, that that was a a mystifying choice because there seems to be a lot going on with his character or at least that's implied with his character and then just nothing Absolutely nothing with this I, guy. When I was watching it, I honestly thought it was going to be like, oh, they're taking all these treasures from the sea, and that's what angers Gorgo. But I guess it was just the underwater volcano, maybe, that did it? It, it didn't make a lot of sense that they would no. set up this character, and they would have like tension with him. And then they, they say that they're going to deal with Gorgo for some treasure and then they just take a piece of treasure and be like this is your down payment or whatever and go on to capture gorgo by just like netting him which is pretty baller yeah yeah i i, I gotta i gotta give him props for that i mean <laughs> i did i did i, did, I, 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 I like, had that, that moment like, like yeah my, my reaction was like you know bold strategy cotton let's see how it works out for him and then because it did I that was the most surprising part, which I mean, mm-hmm. I guess sometimes you just got to go for it. You got to take that big swing. Yeah. And yeah, and then the movie is is off to the races. But yeah, the beginning part was very interesting. It just seemed like they set up a lot and didn't really follow through. And then they Sean stows away on their ship and they just decide to take him with them. <laughs> this this Orvin. But at first I thought he was like living with the harbor master. But I don't think that's the case. I think he was just working for him. Why, why are there not child protective services involved in this this orphan child? This is like I wish I knew. This is the sixties. I think there are some safety nets for kids, especially yeah, or even if you're on remote Gaelic islands or wh- where's the community here? Where are these other divers and fishermen helping out? <laughs> but regardless, I, I could help. We get our 
our, our Kenny for this movie, our, our rambunctious child that seems to have a connection with the monster. Say our Kenny. Yeah. Yeah. Kenny. As, uh, as in, oh my God, they killed. <laughs> I think that is a, the first of the, the Gamera kids is, is a Kenny in the Sandy oh, Frank oh, version. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, that one is, is burned. That name is burned into my brain because of the MST3K episodes of those, but also uh, a YouTuber, Brandon Tennell just calls them all Kenny. <laughs> uh, they, the, I, I guess you can, I mean, you can pick any kind of like stereotypical boy child name, like Timmy or <laughs> little, uh, I guess in this movie, his name was Sean, but that, that doesn't seem like a kid's name. <laughs> Maybe in the sixties. He's now part of the plot for better or for worse as they, they move on and, and sell Gorgo to the, I forget the name of the, the production company for, oh, Dorkin, Dorkin Circus of London. I forgot the character's yeah, which name. Is he's not even quite really, a name, quite a name. He's not really even a character. He's like in also a couple of scenes. Well, and <laughs> to be Dor- perfectly he, he honest, the character. Therein lies my big issue with a lot of these is you get a lot of archetypes, like even even the main characters with Joe and Sam, like they're archetypes, but they're not really characters. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really think there's any characters in this movie. I mean, Sean might be the the closest, but like if you're talking about an child, yeah, the child is probably the closest thing to a character. Yeah, it's so funny. And that's what I was saying about its script failings. You would think maybe. Because they set Bill Travers up as kind of like the aha, uh-huh, we're gonna capture this and make money kind of character that he might have some kind of redemption at the end, but they don't play it that way, though they show his actions, he like does go back to try and save Sean at the end. They don't really like point out that that was character growth for its character. It might be, but we don't really <laughs> we're not really told that i guess if that makes it like that wasn't the point of i guess what he was doing it's a little confusing it is really like you said character archetypes on screen that are transporting the monster and giving the information to the audience about oh by the way this is just a child (laughs) this is a baby (laughs) gorgo oh do you have any favorite scenes in the the flick miles i'm gonna be honest the scene where the the parent Gorgo mm-hmm. starts wrecking London. Yeah. The, because I mean, the destruction the, is on, on full, full effect here. <laughs> well, because you know, when, he, when, when Gorgo is captured and is given like, it's an aquatic creature and they, they put it in this kind of <laughs> emptied out swimming pool. Yeah. It looks like where uh, some skateboarders would probably want to go hang out. It, and like it has maybe like it looks like it has some retained water in there, but it's a sea creature and they don't have any water. And then people are throwing so, things at this poor animal. That that boggles my mind because it's actually a plot point earlier on that they have to like keep, keep wetting it, wet. it down. Yeah. And that is how they explain that it's scent gets dispersed all over and the mother can find it because they've been hosing it down. But yeah, as soon as they get to the circuits, they're like, dry that bad boy up. We don't want him limber and loose. Yeah. So for that reason, I, I, the entire time I'm like, well, these people deserve to get squished and squished <laughs> they get because. Oh, yeah. This is a violent well, one, too. Well, and we'll talk about this next week. I do think the suit work is <sighs> passable. Yeah. I, I, I think it is. It, does have the same problem that a lot of the English movies do is they just loop the roar and the Mm -hmm. the monster doesn't really do a whole lot in terms of its movements or its expressions. And I understand that that can be difficult this time. We are just using basically a mask, but it just seems that like, you know, your Godzilla and King Kong and, you know, some of our other higher rated creatures have Mm -hmm. been able to do that. And, they don't do that with Gorgo. And and that's a little disappointing, specifically with how good the destruction of London looks. Oh, yeah. They they do very well with that. It seems like you can't tell they needed to save a lot of their budget for that sequence. And it's and, good. I mean, the, well, it's, the, it's, the once again, coming looks, from Kong, it's like at least something happened. 
Yeah, something happens. They built a nice, decent set. Like, to be perfectly honest, I actually thought this looked as good as something that would come out in the 70s or very early 80s. Like, this was a good-looking set. The fire effects Mm -hmm. looked great. There is some really questionable scenes in this, though, especially with the reporter and the quote-unquote fog. That is not (laughs) great. (laughs) Yeah, there's some early use of blue screen here for potentially no reason as well. <laughs> some scenes that don't really need it, but some... Yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that's, that's super questionable, but the overall destruction of London looks pretty great. I One other scene that I, I like is when they first come out, I think maybe when they see Gorgo for the very first time, and they pop back in the boat, both Sean and... Not Sean, but uh, Joe and Sam somehow have dry cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Were they in the uh, water? At, at, yeah, as a former smoker who mm-hmm. has been on the water, that is damn near impossible. <laughs> and I I want to know how they did that. <laughs> little Ziploc baggies. No. Zippies. <laughs> they brought those things out like I said they had them the whole time. I'm like, no, you did not. <laughs> yeah, a lot a lot works in this movie, but most of the stuff that does work are plot points or Things that are tying back to King Kong or Godzilla, you know, the destruction sequence, the whole plot of them bringing it in to sell to a circus. But I will say the I was unable to turn away from this movie because it was so quickly plotted to get us to the action, get us to the next scene and get us through <laughs> the experience The the original tension, though, like I said, with the, the Nara Island Harbor Master and Captain Joe. It wasn't great, but besides that, there's there's a good amount of foreshadowing for some of the things that they're doing plot wise. And I do enjoy that. You, you don't think Sean's going to be an important character, but then you realize at the end that Gorgo is also a displaced like orphan child. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, that kind of makes sense. It, you know, a little nail on the, the head there, but they weren't really like. Making a connection between Sean and and Gorgo. This isn't a um, a Gamera friend of children situation, but it, it, right. it, it Sean shows that he is sympathetic for the monster in, in, in several parts, and it's trying to get it even when it's on the boat, trying to, <laughs> to let it ex- escape. A couple things that don't work in this film. A couple big things that I have to dock a couple points in a few areas is something we were mentioning before we started recording. There are no women in the movie at all. No, not at all. And I can understand like the majority of the characters are on a ship, on a sailing ship, and maybe there's not room for them there. But once you get to London, I mean, there's a couple different places where you can have any female character. I think a female reporter shows up and asks a question, but it's like a, it's like an unnamed <laughs> character in the film. And you only really realize you're missing it when they do get to London. It's like, oh, they're still not going to introduce anyone else to the to the cast here. Mm-hmm. And it it doesn't make sense. It seems like there needs to be someone there for Sean, maybe. And they introduce a, a tension between Sam and Joe very late in the film. That doesn't really go anywhere. A lot of a lot of missed potential there for <laughs> more of a human plot a- anything else you want to ding this movie on before we talk about maybe it's it's legacy and, and um sucker? outside of uh, of the plot stuff that i was talking about like i said i i feel like they know how ha- the ingredients of a good monster film but it's it's the the script is so superficial and it mm-hmm. just it, it bums me out because there are so many things that i like about it i actively like the story of these sailors coming across this island and there's just all this stuff, even from them not being great people. Hey, I can take it. I, I watch plenty of noir. I can I can have no great moral compass in my characters in these movies. That's fine. Yeah. But there's no there's. Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier. There's just no meat on the bones. There's no there's no pathos. There's no characters. And it keeps me from, you know, giving a crap. And which also helps factor into the fact that, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm actively rooting for the monster, which is fun when it comes stomping time. <laughs> and but, yeah, I, I it's it bums me out because I feel like if this did have a solid script, this this movie would either be its own classic or a absolute hidden gem. 
Yeah, yeah. Just just a little more time in script workshop, and I think it could have could have at least raised a point. And I was talking to you about maybe it being like one of the better ones of the 1960s. And I looked at how many more we we get to watch this decade. I was like, probably not going to make that (laughs) make that list. I don't even know if it's going to be the best in 1961. (laughs) (laughs) Well, definitely not. But there is a good amount of legacy for this film, despite, I think, me not really having heard anything about it before we, we started this project. Charlton Comics made a Gorgo series like they did with Conga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it started, I've read a little bit of it with a retelling of the movie, but we got those scenes with the giant octopus and the killer whale. And it's actually probably better than the movie because we've got. I could see a Gorgo comic working pretty well. We've got Steve Ditko on it as, right. as the, the artist and, and creator here. And this is one year before he makes the iconic design for Spider-Man in its his debut of Amazing Fantasy in, in 1962. This is this is some very good Steve Ditko art. And I think it ran for about a year or two. I th- I want to say it got up to 24 issues and they they reprinted them recently, I think in, in what we mentioned last week, the Leaping Lizards and, and Giant Apes collection that he that he did. Mm-hmm. There was a unofficial, I want to say, comedic sequel made in 2009 by Benjamin Craig called Waiting for Gorgo. <laughs> it's uh, great. Great title. Great did you, title. Did you watch it? I haven't had a chance to watch it. Yes, it looks. Uh, yeah, it, it looks like there is a pretty easy way to watch it online. Yeah, you, you can go to their website, long. watch it a- after this. And it, it was fun. It, it's it's the plot is there's a department of monsters and oversized animals that are are waiting for gorgo to come back and it's all about the like an auditor in the ministry of defense like seeing like trying to convince them that uh, giant monster never attacked london i don't know what you're talking about it's fun it, it i don't quite understand the the passion project like it seems like they put a lot of effort into that short for a movie that maybe not a lot of folks yeah but but we 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 both have niche loves that like i can see that that being a passion project for some nerds who if you're british for sure this is the last major monster movie i want to say that they get outside of gorga is that a british production (laughs) or or some of the uh king kong knockoffs later on I'm I'm just gonna say if I had the resources and time, <laughs> you would get the the unofficial sequel to to the children's classic Surf Ninjas <laughs> very, very quickly. MST3K did this movie as well and used the waiting for Gorgo pun in in one of their I wanna say season nine or ten episodes. The film rights were very quickly lost, so they only aired it on television a f- couple of times. And I don't think I that it was it, put on the 25th anniversary. Was it ever edition, put on DVD? Uh, Little yeah, Malton. It's, 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 it's on the um, that collectible 10 they did for the 25th anniversary ah. of MSC3K. Leonard Moulton appears in the episode talking about his love for Gorgo <laughs> early on, which is hilarious because he's a he's a film critic that they make fun of a lot in that show. I want to say he gave Gorgo three out of four stars. I should have looked it up before we started, but I mean, and that's the thing is I can see in the in the time in which this was released, this you know, seeing this movie and thinking it's really good. Mm-hmm. I I can definitely see that. I mean. As a modern viewer, I, I have problems, and I still probably would have the same problems. But in terms of the spectacle uh, for an American or for a British movie or an English-speaking movie at this time, it would I would be pretty impressed by it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, coming out of the 50s, I was very impressed with this film as well. But uh, let's get to our rating of the movie, talking about like where it sits in, in kaiju cinema history. When we get to this part it kind of helps us codify our thoughts about the film in comparison to other movies in in kaiju cinema history we have each watched this independently i don't even think we talked really about gorgo too much except when i finished it i was like okay this was good (laughs) we we rate them individually and then combine our scores 
And the three criteria we're going to look at are personal enjoyment, movies, technical and aesthetic achievements, and the evocative ripples it makes in the greater giant monster movie history. So yeah, let's, let's talk about this. I, I had an absolute blast with this movie. It is a lot of action and like you said, pretty thin on plot, (laughs) but it got to that monster very quickly. The movie is about the monster. You know, there's not a lot else to it. So Gorgo is the star. And I feel like in with so many of the other movies that we've seen where the monster only shows up in the last 10 minutes, I, I was having a blast. Like you said, the Technicolor is amazing as well. Mm-hmm. It's really awesome to get to some of those scenes. The only thing we were really missing was a day scene, I think, like a day attack or, or action scene. But yeah, I think this is a pretty fun hidden kaiju flick. And if you want to have something outside of the world of Toho or Toei or other uh, die, you know, kind of flicks. This is one to go to. Uh, so I, for personal enjoyment, I gave it an eight out of 10. What about you, Miles? So I, I did have a good time with this. I think it is somewhat of a hidden gem. It's definitely the best of the the trilogy of English co-productions that we have watched. <laughs> I think Gorgo is a pretty interesting monster. I think the plot points are are solid, but at the same time, not everything just comes together. The the March on London is great. And I also like that the ending is pretty happy for the monsters. You know, mama grabs the baby and they, they futz off to the, the ocean together. Yeah. In a beautiful shot there at the end. Yeah. Uh, so I, I give it a seven. I, I think it, this is definitely worth seeing. It's not great, but it's good. And I think this is a, a really solid effort. It looks great. It's one of the best looking color movies that we've had in the English speaking stuff that we've watched. And I I definitely think that this is someone who's a massive monster fan. They should give it a a, a shot. I Uh do think this movie spins its wheels a good bit, but I I do think it's worth watching. I I did it. I did have a good time with it. What about the technical aspects? What do you think? So technical, I gave it an eight while the, the blue screen stuff was relatively hilarious. Everything else looks really really solid in terms of the sets the way the special effects are utilized i ding it because yes they loop the roar and it's not that great the suit doesn't have a lot of of movement emotion that you can do Uh, the suitimation just it's not quite there and then obviously i also ding it a little bit because of the script but it's still Really, really solid, especially in comparison with a lot of the English language movies that we've spent time with in the 50s. Mm-hmm. This is leaps and bounds better, and I got to give credit where credit's due. So, yeah, I'm giving it an eight for its technical. Pseudimation for being really the first good example of that in the West, I gave them high marks for, despite That's fair. not a not extremely emotive monster. This is definitely on par with you know, like the first Godzilla, you know, just up and down jaw movements, eyes open and close, that kind of thing. But f- yeah, for the special effects, not quite super standard, but really excellent. I think there's a couple of buildings that got destroyed where you lose some of the interior texture where it's like, just looks like they're knocking a little bit of cardboard <laughs> direction. I think by usually Lori was pretty good, but editing, there's some very choppy edits in, in segments where scenes just kind of end. And part of that is there's not really <laughs> characters to develop in those scenes. So, you know, why let them go longer? Uh, and, and besides, I mean, the, the blue screen actually doesn't look too bad compared to some other 60s blue screening that we're going to see. But there's a terrible day for night shot in there in the final attack where I don't know if you recall this, they go to. What the the prime minister's house was it Downing Street and it is like it goes from like absolute midnight <laughs> in in one shot to like police going down that street that is obviously blue tinted daytime and it looked terrible but for the most part yeah after a couple of dings I'm with you an eight out of ten for the technical here they they really did something special with with some of these action sequences that are. The main reason you should probably check this movie out. Yeah, uh, uh, which I think goes down to our, our legacy. Now, while 
it's not a name that you know echoes down the great halls of kaiju cinema it is it is a little bit of a, a hidden gem i mean this movie has you know had comics a unofficial sequel it's had an episode of mst3k and it's one that when people tend to look up it's they're they're, they're pleasantly surprised by it even if it's a one-timer you know it's still like oh that was that was fun and so I'm going to give it a, a seven out of 10 because I think it is certainly not a, a negative movie that people look back on, but it doesn't, it's, it's again, that good, but not great. It's, it's, I'm also being a little generous because, you know, m- most people don't know Gorgo. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, probably maybe it's different in, in, in Britain. It is one of those movies that pops up in the background i think of of a lot of other films i feel like the act the fact that it was color actually plays against it in that because if you want an evocative monster flick you're probably going to go with a black and white film like if you're using it in like a modern tv show you know you want them watching something very nostalgic looking but yeah, if if someone showed this to you it's like oh wow godzilla looks really weird here <laughs> for some reason so yeah, I gave it a seven out of ten as well. That brings me to about an eight, and you to a seven. Here is that correct? Yes, uh, I think that is tying those scores together. It's actually going to drop us down to a seven as our final podcast score for the film, which is not bad. I think it's right there on the cusp, like you know, seven and a half somewhere in there, but. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy with that because well, I, I again I think it's good. I don't think it's great. And this is the when we started this podcast, this is the kind of I don't want to say middling, but the kind of like middle grade kaiju monster movie that I was expecting a little bit more of is to have this kind of experience where I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. It's got some good ideas. It's got it's got the right ingredients, but it's just not quite there. Instead of you know the deadly mantis well you know uh, you know what else we gave a seven to beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms yeah that makes sense as well as godzilla raids again i think it's in good company with that score and in those movies i i can see if you like those i think you might have an okay time with this movie absolutely well that is going to do it for this week's episode so be sure to follow us on Twitter at Kaiju versus History. Email us with comments, concerns, or kaiju facts at kaiju versus history at gmail.com. And go to kaiju versus history.com to get ready for the next installment of our March the Annals of Monster Movie Mayhem. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, listeners. Uh, we're going to catch you next time when we witness the birth of a second cultural phenomena in Japanese kaiju cinema. And one that's going to endure to the modern era. It cannot be stopped unless lulled to sleep by twin singing beauties. Tune in next time as we explore history versus Mothra. Mothra.